This is a HeadGum Podcast. Today's show is sponsored by Miracle Made. And oh my God, you guys, you know that I love a luxurious set of sheets. And I now have such a set of sheets because of a miracle made. They are bedding that has been inspired by NASA. They've got silver-infused fabrics that actually make temperature-regulating a thing. Uh, so you're not, like, getting too hot or too cold or whatever. You know, the whole thing that happens with your body's temperature losing its mind, miracle made helps with that. One of the little things that my husband particularly loves about Miracle Made is that it like doesn't have as much bacteria as regular sheets because of it's infused with this silver that prevents up to 99.7% of bacterial growth. So it leaves the sheets cleaner for longer. And then the thing for my husband is that it doesn't give him acne, which is like an issue for some people. But More than all of that, it's just luxuriously comfortable and delightful, and it has that cooling feeling while also being cozy. Very hard to achieve those two things at the same time. I mean, miracle made. Come on, well done. So here's what I think you should do. I think you should go to trymiracle.com slash fake the nation and buy some sheets today. And if you order today, you can save 40% off. Use the promo code fake the nation at the checkout and you'll get three free towels and save an extra 20%. So there's just a lot of savings here, folks. Order today. You'll get 40% off. Use the promo code fake the nation. Go to trymiracle.com slash fake the nation. And Miracle so confident in their product, it's backed with a 30-day money-back guarantee. So if you're not 100% satisfied, which I don't see happening, um, you'll get a full refund. Upgrade your sleep with Miracle Made. Go to trymiracle.com slash fake the nation and use the code fake the nation to claim your free three-piece towel set and save over 40% off. Again, that's trymiracle.com slash fake the nation to treat yourself. Thank you, Miracle Made, for sponsoring this episode. Fake the Nation, episode 276. Hello, hello, this is Fake the Nation, where we talk about news, we talk about culture, and where we breathe a sigh of relief because supply chain issues did not affect the delivery of today's podcast. I'm your host, Nagin Farsad, and I made it possible for the Fake the Nation International Port and Loading Dock to be open 24 hours a day so we can get these podcasts in and out on time, folks. This is America, okay? Today, we're going to talk about the popularity of dating shows, the unpopularity of right-wing social media platforms, Facebook, Japanese royalty, and some other stuff. I am so excited about today's panel. You have no idea. Uh, Today, for the very first time, I'm joined by a senior producer at Wonder Media and host of As She Rises, which is a podcast that pairs poetry and activism to talk about climate change. And it's so great and so important. It is the wonderful Grace Lynch. Hey, Grace. Oh, my God. What an introduction. Thank you so much, Nikki. And it's a pleasure to be here. Um, I am also joined by a longtime alum of the show. You know him, you love him. You probably listen to all the other things he does because you're already a fan. Uh, he is comedian. He is host of Tell Me Everything on Sirius XM. It is the one and only John Fugel saying, hey, John. Oh, it's so nice to see you again, Nagin. And as always, it's a pleasure to be here and uh, try to poach your other guests. So thank you. <laughs> Um, uh, there is a really fun uh, Venn diagram of our guests uh, between Tell Me Everything and Fake the Nation, which a Venn diagram I'm very proud of. Um, just a reminder to listeners to join the Patreon if you can. Um, I just posted an essay about a really hot funeral. Now, that could mean many different things. You're going to have to subscribe to the Patreon to understand what hot funeral means. Uh, a few weeks ago, I posted an essay called Fuck Fall that was a little controversial. Oh, well, I'm um, with you there. But but I also, yeah, I thank you. Not into it. Um, plus, uh, we have new bonus episodes of the show coming out. It's a constant stream of goodies. You can support the show for as little as $1 a month for the cost of a macchiato, though. You could support the show and get a bunch of bonus content. So go to patreon.com slash Nagin Farsad. Uh, and let us get into it with topic number one. 
Uh, we weren't really even going to talk about this, but like, let's just see what we want to say. There was a treasure trove of Facebook papers uh, that were released and divided up among the media outlets, and their analysis all came out on Monday. There's just tons of stories that came out about Facebook on Monday. This is, of course, part of what came out uh, with the whistleblower testimony. Um, John, any initial thoughts or any particular stories that leapt out at you from this uh, treasure trove of Facebook heinousness? Um, uh, what, that Facebook AI doesn't really detect dangerous content in a- languages that aren't English or that Facebook <laughs> was calling lies, um, uh, harmful, non-violating content when it pertained to an election or that Facebook literally <laughs> knew one, that though. humans were being sold on their platform and did nothing? <laughs> that was no, my personal I, I wasn't Oh, it's a great list of three right there uh, that made me feel just terrible inside my soul. Uh, Grace, was there anything that leapt out at you? I was happy to like actually dive in and read more about it because I feel like for the last few days, I've just been getting push notification after push notification. That's like, in case you uh, forgot, over the last two hours, Facebook knowingly drank the blood of orphans on their retreats. (laughs) Just like, I was like, yeah, like, I know, like. It sucks. Like I, I reading through that uh, wonderful compilation by The Verge, the the human trafficking one was the one that did stand out to me as like, oh, oh yeah, good. Yeah. You know, they yeah. took down a thousand of those accounts. That must just be the tip of the iceberg. Uh, exactly. Truly, truly heinous behavior on all fronts. And at this point, it's like comically evil. And there's, I, I'm really struggling to see what the continued upside is, other than like my high school trying to plan its reunion and doing so like wildly ineffectively. <laughs> I think that we can find another way. That's just. I, actually, I think the one good thing about Facebook is they killed the high school reunion industry. Okay. That's so actually there. This is a running theory I have. Like why are, are, is that concept just going to die out? Because yeah. I can kind of see what everybody's doing. I know what all their unremarkable children look exactly. like. I, I like, can names. I just, in defense of the high school reunion, <laughs> there's nothing that can replace seeing what someone, like what their current adult vibe is yeah. in person. Okay. Absolutely. That's just like a special <laughs> weird feeling that you're like, oh my God, I had a crush <laughs> on you. You're heinous now. Like, Uh, This is crazy. Like, you can't even string together a coherent sentence. Why did I think you were so awesome? Like, that is a special feeling that I would like to be able to experience every 10 years for the rest of my life. I'm very sentimental about social things. And so I've always wanted to have a reunion. And I've been really surprised by how many people when our reunion attempted to be planned so incredibly poorly, who got really upset were like, hey, wait a minute, I want to go to this thing. So I... I had always suspected it would fizzle and die because of social media. But I think their desire to see people and acknowledge how awkward they used to be and see if they're still awkward. I do. Perhaps it persists. Great. And is that so um, I I love that uh, this is the main thing we're thinking about when it comes to Facebook. But also (laughs) one of many. I mean, look, I'm I'm dying to know if the guys who beat me up in junior high look exactly like their profile pictures as well. I'm I'm right on board with you. (laughs) Yeah, in terms of things I think about with Facebook, not as much. (laughs) But I want to I mean, the funny thing is like that was the dream of Facebook, right, is that you would be connected because of this this bit of nostalgia. This this notion that like you met someone in you know when you were hiking in the French Alps or whatever uh, you could like reconnect with them and how beautiful that is. Um, I get the dream of Facebook was not the human <laughs> trafficking. You know, I think Genocide. we could all agree that that was not a dream. But you know, the other fun thing that uh, we learned is that they there were ways that they figured out that they could reduce. The problems, like, for example, they could get rid of the like button. They found out that getting rid of the like button reduced engagement, like just made people stay on the site less, which is actually awesome. Right. Um, Mm -hmm. It didn't necessarily it didn't, you know, just to be fair to the to the research that was presented, it apparently didn't do anything for teenagers and their like anxiety over body image and stuff like that or just their general anxiety about social media and being on Instagram like apparently removing the like button didn't help with that but it did like shorten the amount of time that people were just interested in a post which I think 
actually ultimately is a is a social good for us to be on it less, you know. But it is a capitalist bad for us to be on it shorter. So they didn't get rid of it ultimately. But it also like kind of kneecaps the point of Facebook, which is like not really to do a lot of social good, right? Like they want people to stay on their platform. It's like the getting rid of the like button would be like the O'Douls of like right, right. It's like I mean, I guess this technically tastes similar you know it's like what what's the point of that at that level just have a, a the, different beverage. one of the yeah. one of the fun stories that popped out at me uh was the the carol story they created a carol bot yes. who was like i guess a, a christian conservative from the midwest or something but just a sort of generic christian conservative bot and to see what would happen to her. Um, and in within two days, that bot was QAnon. Uh, what did you, John, what did you make of that story? I, I really wasn't surprised. I mean, Mark Zuckerberg is, he didn't get to be a gazillionaire by not knowing how to make a profit off of this algorithm. And, you know, I, it's not a coincidence that it was a two-year ban of Donald Trump, which will end exactly after the midterms just in time for potentially candidate Trump to begin raising tons of money by buying disinformation-laden ads on Zuckerberg's site. Zuckerberg timed it perfectly to make the greatest financial splash of Trump coming back to his platform at a very, very lucrative time. Um, And even worse, if Trump's not running and just on the hustle to pay off Deutsche Bank, which I know we'll get to, you know, I once wrote to Facebook to complain about their uh, their lack of privacy. And they wrote back telling me they already knew how I felt about it. I mean, I have a Facebook <laughs> I have a Facebook profile, uh, a page with 300,000 followers that was hacked on the 2nd of June. And it's been posting goofy videos for several times a day for months now. And I've written so many times. I've used internal contacts to talk to Facebook oh VPs. Oh, my God. And all I've gotten is bots and prayers. But in the reality, (laughs) that's why they're working. They're not about customer service. They're not about improving the lives of the users. They're about moving forward and maximizing the profit for their shareholders. And in that sense, they are a truly American organization. Bots and prayers is maybe the best uh, is the best joke I've heard uh, around this uh, all week. Um, Okay, can I also share another one that I found really upsetting that Zuckerberg apparently opposed pushing a Spanish language voting resource on WhatsApp in 2020, arguing that it wasn't politically neutral. Uh, he's what, so is he one of these, like, you know, English onlys, you know what I mean? I mean, what, what to happen is it also an internationally used app. I mean, the, the whole thing with Facebook and all of the language gaps that it has yeah. is incredible to me. And by language gaps, I mean, a lot of the other languages that Facebook operates in do are not moderated Correct. or protected or looked at at all like they're just it's you know you could be just in in a in sewage uh in those other well in india they were in other languages in india the amount of anti-muslim posts and fake accounts tied to the ruling party of the country and opposition figures i mean 87 percent of facebook's global budget for the time spent classifying misinformation goes towards the united states and they fail here and 13 percent of their budget goes to the entire rest of the world and North America only make up 10% of their daily users. So to me, that says they're only focusing that much of that mediocre attention here as a response to criticism. So they can go out and have very well-produced mock interview propaganda ads that are bought on our news channels during commercial breaks. I don't know if you've seen those. I'm like, oh, what's the new sit-down-with-Facebook executive talk show that's coming in between my Metamucil commercials? But that's where they're going right now. <laughs> and it's only a pittance. It's only enough to say, look... Can you see we made an effort? And in reality, solving lies spreading on Facebook, that could disrupt engagement. They're not going to do that until they're forced to do it. You know, and it's also weird to me because it's short-sighted. Like, if you keep going at this pace, then you're just asking for... A, everyone to hate you and your product to become incredibly unpopular because everyone hates how you're handling it. And then B, government, uh, it, it also, again, it forces, your misbehavior forces government to be like, okay, we're now going to uh, regulate. Whereas if they had done a lot of this regulation on their own, 
uh, they probably wouldn't have need so much needed so much intervention. That said, I'm in favor of this kind of government intervention. There yeah. should be some standards, and, and as the there way, are on television. The only part of what you just said I disagree with is that it's not going to be popular. The vast majority of users have no idea about this. They're not there for the That's happiness. True. They're there for the dopamine squirt. It's the brief, fleeting spurt of That's pleasure true. that you mistake for happiness that keeps you there. And that's why so many of our lovely right-wing friends have had their entire brains rewired by this platform in the last five years. They don't care about the problems with Facebook. They don't care that they're being lied to. Folks who knew about birtherism didn't mind that they were being lied to. If it makes you feel good, that brief little dopamine, that's what's going to keep them there. It's a drug and they know it. And I think that we've got to move past this idea that massive international corporations are going to start governing themselves like they're, they're like yeah. when can we yeah. let that go that's never happened <laughs> it's never gonna well, tobacco happen. uh tobacco oh, right yeah no, no no they were totally forthcoming it's just i'm i'm very sick of this like yeah facebook has had a million opportunities every step of the way every part of their growth They've been aware of it the whole time. And of course, they chose not to. And we get proof of that over and over and over again. And then we're still like, but is it time to step in? Shouldn't they do it? It's like, no, <laughs> they're not doing it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're not doing it. And there's now so many examples. I mean, there was an example of Zuckerberg intervening to ensure that Facebook would comply with this crappy law instituted in Vietnam, agreeing to moderate uh, more aggressively against anti-state content, right? Mm -hmm. So they're put, putting their, their, what is that, thumb on the scale. I was going to say weight on the thumb, <laughs> That is on the scale. Anyway, they're putting their 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 thumb on the scale in these other countries' political reality, and it's it's just it's wrong. And yeah, and we're not doing anything. And we keep thinking something's going to happen, and we keep doing little congressional testimonies where Zuckerberg has to put on a little suit, and he comes out and he says things that are patently untrue, and then they're found to be patently untrue months later. I mean, it's just like we're in this cycle. Uh, it would be great if something happened, um, Fugelsang predictions on what might happen as we close off this segment. Uh, like everything else in America, it will get worse before it gets better. And it will ultimately get better, not because of leaders, but because most likely because of moms and because of concerned citizens who have a stake in this and realize that brains are being rewired by this Michigas. Uh, I think it's going to take a while, but, you know, it, it, they're just giving Bernie Sanders plenty of material for great speeches about why this needs to be regulated like a utility. All right. Uh, let me know what you think. Uh, we're going to take a quick break to learn about our sponsor. And then uh, when we come back, we will continue talking. This HeadGum Podcast is brought to you by Aura Frames. That is right. Uh, from grandmothers to new mothers, aunts, even the friends of your life, every mom loves an Aura Frame. Holy shit. Even aunts? Yes, especially aunts. Oh, wow. Because it was named the best digital photo frame by Wirecutter and selected as one of Oprah's favorite things. I mean, these Aura Frames are guaranteed to bring joy to moms of all ages. I believe it. You have an Aura Frame, don't you? Yes, I actually more than believe it. I know it. Uh, I've got one for my mom, my mother-in-law, my grandmother-in-law. And dare I say your aunt? And dare you say my aunt and my aunt-in-law. Everyone's got one. Everyone loves them. I mean, Mother's Day is right around the corner, and there's no better gift than a digital photo frame. You give them the frame. It's got preloaded pictures in there. And you know what? You can update it with an app. So every time you take a new picture of a sweet little uh, person or place or thing in your life, it gets automatically sent to that frame. Exactly. And right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Listeners can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. Holy smokes. Excellent deal. Yeah, that's A-U-R-A Frames.com. You use the code HEADGUM at checkout to save. HEADGUM. Nice. Yes. Headgum. It's easy to set up. It's loved by everybody, including Oprah, including your aunt. Mm -hmm. So do check them out. That's A-U-R-A-Frames.com. Use code HEADGUM at checkout to save. Damn right. And terms and conditions apply, of course. Of course. Thanks again to Aura. <sighs> the comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center. Thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. 
There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. And we are back and we're ready for topic number two. So we read a piece called Marriage Rates Are Plummeting, Why a Reality Dating Series So Popular in Politico, written by Joanna Weiss. And it struck me as an excellent question. Uh, I have friends who don't care about marriage or coupling generally. I have friends who are ad- aggressively coupled <laughs> and just don't care about the marriage part. And I have friends where we just don't ask questions and who knows what's going on in their lives. Uh, but one thing is true. There's a Venn diagram of all these groups where Either way, they're into reality dating shows, you know. And the thing with reality dating shows is that they're they're, they're sort of old school, like a very old school form of just actually courting and dating and whatever. Um, Now, if you listen to conservative punditry, which I know most of my listeners don't do for health reasons, God bless them. You would hear that the childless left is destroying America, that they create a Tinder so we could depopulate the country. Uh, but what what does it actually look like to you, Grace? Well, first, I feel obligated to come clean about my relationship to dating shows, which is that I'm a part of many <laughs> bachelor and bachelorette um, fantasy groups in which, you know, we you pick your starting lineup each week. <laughs> Um, and you compete for glory. I have won a season. I feel obligated to disclose wow. that. Um, wow. But, no, thank you. And I did come in third in another in, a, in which I only read the bios of the contestants. I, and also, I don't watch the show. I truly will just watch the first. Wait, so you just do the fantasy game part yes. and you don't watch the I show? I do not watch the show. I just do the fantasy <laughs> game part. And then I sometimes follow that's them on social media. That's a very special connection. Oh, it's distinct. Okay, that's a very interesting. I find yeah. you're like a, That's like a Republican Christian who's never read the Bible, except you're not destructive. <laughs> yeah, it's just theory. Um, I... I find those shows insufferable to watch, but the machinations around it, absolutely irresistible. And I think that there's something about just like the pure escapism of it that applies to all people. I have plenty of friends who got married quite young, straight out of high school, straight out of college. And then I have, I'm in kind of like the second wave of like 30s that are, you know, getting engaged and married. And I don't sense any like this childless left nonsense to me is just a like a just a generic how can I swat at liberal women without saying the words liberal women um so to me it's just kind of a a vague vaguely thinly veiled play to a gender criticism yep fugal sang look at those women enjoying sex for their own sake and having agency over their sexuality and <laughs> not being rude the state <laughs> Yeah. I mean, first off, I want to thank you because I actually go to Politico for most of my dating and relationship articles. <laughs> we really don't talk enough about how Politico has really helped so many find love and at least understand love even better. Uh-huh. Um, you know, look, if I, I just if, if you I just read they consider Politico to be liberal. So it is about confusion. But I mean, why? You know, reality shows are to actual relationships what pro wrestling is to actual sports or what porn is to actual sex. You know, we have always valued romance more than marriage because romance is a lot more exciting than marriage. Mm. Romance is what they use to get you into marriage. And we don't celebrate commitment, we celebrate romance. You know, why, why are most of the love songs about falling in love and passion and not about decades of cohabitation and compromise and codependence. <laughs> right, Unless right, you're right, Paul right. McCartney, lots of domestic bliss anthems out of Paul. So thank you. I love all the wing stuff. God bless Linda. But, you know, think about this. It, it, as low as the, 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 the marriage rates are, if we all had health care, ah, marriage right. rates might be even lower. If we had the same kind of access to health care <laughs> that all of our capitalist allies have, People would stop getting married for coverage, and these rates would go down even more. Now, adjusted for inflation, (laughs) if you adjust for inflation, today's average hourly wage has about as much purchasing power as it did in 1978. And that is why we're having fewer kids, not the excesses of the left, the excesses of Reaganomics, and the fact that middle-class buying power is where it was when Close Encounters of the Third Kind came out. That's why people aren't having kids. In terms of marriage, look, it's all the same thing. It's just, it used to be love songs. I mean, you could argue that romance and porn are two sides of the same fantasy coin. Um, People are always going to fall in love. They're always going to seek a mate. And they'll always debate the merits of 
marriage and, you know, historically marrying for love is a relatively recent concept. So again, thank you, Politico, for helping me make sense of my crazy dating life. Well, <laughs> and also this is like a weird excuse for a political writer to just write about reality TV or yeah. something because I, I, the, the piece was a little bit like, I just want to write about this, but what is the political angle? Oh, J.D. Vance maybe said something about reality dating shows being terrible. Well, no, the angle but is actually, great. The angle's great. You mentioned that the angle is, you know, th th that all of these shows, even F-Boy Island, which, which Nikki hosts, I mean, that it's all ultimately selling the idea of settling down with one partner as being the ultimate right. ideal and anything else, you're deficient. So they are quite conservative. This whole motto of come for the titillation Stay for the affirmation. And uh, so I actually thought the article made a couple of good political points in the midst of incredible recaps of shows I will never watch. Well, and 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 so talk about specifically like J.D. Vance is one of the lead ins on this article. He said um, uh, in one of his sp speeches, by the way, he's he's now running for uh, senator in the state of oh, Ohio. Tennessee? Ohio. Ohio. Sorry, Ohio. Um, he wrote the Dem or he said the Democrats are taking uh, the t Democrats are talking about giving the vote to 16 year olds. Let's do this instead. Let's give votes to all children in this country, but let's give control over those votes to the parents of the children. So he has this weird theory that like people who like the, the Kamala Harris and AOC, we are giving too much political power to exactly. people who have no dogs in the race and that they don't have offspring that to they have women to worry about mothers. their future. Right. And therefore <laughs> are deficient our and perverse. <laughs> right. And then so one of the things he said, which I thought this was so hilarious, is he said that in Hungary, um, under, you know, Viktor Orban, right? Everyone's favorite um, dictator. My go-to. <laughs> he wrote, they, uh, he said they offer loans to newly married couples in Hungary that are forgiven at some point later if those couples have actually stayed together and had kids, which is hilarious because we are literally giving a child ta tax, not credit. What is it? We're just giving money. What is that thing we're doing? That It's called Subsidy. the monthly... Subsidy. subsidy. Sub there. Thank you. We're literally offering a child subsidy that we're not that we can't get Republicans to side with. And this guy is saying, look, in Hungary, how is the child subsidy Wait. not pro family anyway? But see what the geniuses in Hungary are doing is they're tying yeah. it to whether the couple <laughs> stays together, which is Man, yet right, again, together, tying right. women economically to their partners. To their mm -hmm. men. Yeah, yes. yeah, 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 yeah. So you can That's watch true. for more of J.D. Vance in my new show, F-Boy Caucus, because he knows that well. <laughs> and it's just pandering, pandering to traditional values people who also like Donald Trump. You know, that glorious slice of morality. Do we think that? Wait, can, go, yeah. go ahead, Nikki. Go ahead. Because I have a, I have a totally off the, this question for you I was just both. saying that it's obvious that the writer one just wanted an excuse to say that watching The Bachelor was in any way relevant to their work, and two, I think was strategically <laughs> strategically trying to put F boy next to J D Vance as often as possible, and was like, how else would I devise such a moment to link these two <laughs> ideas together than with this piece, which I appreciate. <laughs> Can I specifically about fuckboys? I just want to talk about the popularity of that term. Like it, there was a time when we never used the term fuckboy, and then I think in the last I don't know two or three years, every it started. It sort of started with like you know in in comedy room back room of of uh, bars. You know you heard the term. A lot of comedians using it. And then once it's a television show, you know that it has jumped the shark as a term. But what is the, the obsession dealio. with this term? Right? What is it? I think that um, there's something about it that is so true that resonates on such a deep level. On a deep level. That... Mm -hmm. um, I I just think that it really took hold as something where we're like, no, no, I know. I mean, you really put your hand to your heart there as you were even describing that, uh, Grace. So I really felt many it. a lovely and disastrous fuckboy. <laughs> we had, we, people were sleeping with people with, without any desire for commitment 
for centuries. It's just funny that it's like taken off in this way, particularly now. Same thing with different, different nouns and verbs. I mean, again, they come for the titillation, stay for the affirmation, even fuckboy Island, you know, it sells the same message. Yes. Women have the sexual agency to debase themselves with unworthy deal breaker douchebags. Um, and that's progress. I know I'll agree. Uh, but at the same time, it's still selling the idea that you are deficient if you don't find the right one and settle down. So, again, they're selling the same old cultural affirmation, but it's just wrapped up in dick jokes. And why not? And then one of the weird things, too, about the about this sort of thing that we're selling, that conservatives are selling, this idea of the childless left, um, you know, there's been surveys like, for example, the not published a survey that 80 percent of Gen Zers and millennials reported that they had spent some time imagining their wedding day and that most of them expected to be married within two to five years. So again, these shows sort of reflect our collective desire still to, for coupling in that way. Like the idea of the childless left is just a, a, a media um, creation. And then also uh, a 2018 Pew report uh, wrote that two thirds of millennials still hope to marry, um, and they, you know, that they just haven't found the right person with the qualities that they're looking for. And that the the thing that I think we can't sort of accept about society is that people are just getting married a little bit older, and women are having kids a little bit older, and that it also turns out those relationships are more stable. Uh, which is actually, again, a pro-family good thing, you know what I mean, to get into stable relationships. Yeah, I would hope as a positive spin that this would mean that the 50% divorce rate decreases as we move through the millennial and Gen Z generations. I think that that would be a sign that like, if even if less people do get married or if less people have kids, that all of those are more sustainable more stable because i feel like we reached that 50 percent threshold at a time in which like you still just needed to do it or society was gonna look at you yeah 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 yeah. um but that you know it was at an influx time of increased choice and mobility for both partners and that uh led to some tensions obviously when we were kids, there'd be one or two kids in class with divorced parents, now half the kids. So one of the unexpected dividends I would submit of the divorce rate is that children are not stigmatized for parents not having it work out as they were when we were young. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but John, do you think this uh, tactic of talking about the childless left like works for people. Yeah, because like, they can't they, they can't call us godless heathens anymore after Donald Trump. So they'll attack people who are financially constrained by 40 years of trickle-down Reaganomics and waiting. They will attack their own victims. And again, they can't do the family values thing anymore. So childless left is code talk for you're depopulating the white race. Boom. There it is, depopulating the white race. Um, all right, let us move on to topic number three. Uh, we're going to tackle random bits of culture. First, Trump is going to launch a new social media platform. Oh, it sounds so fun. Fugal uh, saying, is this something to worry about? Uh, is it going to just be a gathering place for extremists? What do you think? You know, here's the deal. When you're driving around and you see the, the, the sleazy con man ads on the backrest of benches, Donald mm. Trump is one of those guys if they had been born a millionaire, okay? He, he's, <laughs> he's good at one thing his entire life. I mean, he's, he's not good at marriage. He's not good at business. He's not good at governance. He's not good at coalition building. Uh, he, he's not good. You know, he's good at brand licensing. That's it. And his entire <laughs> life, he sells an image, whether it's for pseudo fancy hotels or pseudo populist uh, man of the people. Now, either he's running for president and he's on the hustle and none of this PAC money ha- has to necessarily go to campaign funds or he owes Deutsche Bank three hundred million dollars and he's on the hustle. Either way, either way. Boy is on the grift, whether he's running or not. It's all to pay off Hitler's former bank. <laughs> Wait, and can I like remind you both? I had completely forgotten about this. That earlier this year, he had something called "From the Desk of Donald J. Yes. Trump," and it was like a website, it a and it was exact. It was just blog. a blog. It was blog. just a blog. Yeah, getter also. But he couldn't. Oh, what? Getter, parlor. His online footprint oh, yeah, has been yeah, so yeah, yeah. diminished 
I mean, his online mentions in this country are so reduced and he's been so desperate to do anything he can do to get his footprint bigger electronically. That's why he's tried throwing everything at the wall, Getter, Parler, from the desk of these ridiculous little postings he's writing that are designed to be shared as memes. He's just trying to get his level, his numbers back up to run. Right. And the thing is that he couldn't even keep that blog it's going. It's so much work no. to have a like blog. Like it lasted. Th- <laughs> it didn't work. It didn't work. It didn't improve his online footprint. So he gave up on it the way he gave up on Parler and Getter. That's all it's about. Twitter's ban of Donald Trump has taken away his power more ferociously than anything Merrick Garland or the House Committee or Robert Mueller combined could do. Grace, what's your take? My just favorite part was that this ABC article about what it, whatever it's called, like Truth Serum USA or whatever the it's going to be called. But it, it was talking about this new... Yeah, it's called like Truth or, or something, right? Is yeah. it just Truth Social. Truth, yeah, Truth Social. Yeah. Truth Social, there Truth it is, Social. sorry. Truth Social. Which is yeah. a horrible name. But it said like Truth Social could provide the former president with a substantial inf- infusion of cash. But critics also warn that it could create a new platform to spread of misinformation. And it's like, yeah, no shit. That is not like the fact that like that was the opening (laughs) line was like, but some are worried. It's like, yeah, of course we're worried. This is the machine of misinformation single handedly creating a new microphone for himself. I don't think that it's going to end up amounting to much because I'm very interested to meet the developers that Donald Trump is able to hire to build such a platform. I would love to see their portfolio of work, but uh, oh, my, my, my eight year old <laughs> just hacked it. If you want to see it, I can. Show yeah. You. <laughs> um, yeah. By the way, John, you mentioned this, but he owes Deutsche Bank $340 million that's coming due next year. Um, he's trying to sell the Trump International Hotel, which lost $71 million while he was in office. Uh, yeah. The Westchester, New York district attorney's office is, um, is, is doing a criminal investigation of their his Westchester golf course, yep. and as we know, um, Letitia James, the district attorney, uh, sorry, the the attorney general for the state of New York, is still conducting a probe into all of his you know New York City stuff. And Alan Weisselberg, oh, yeah. um, was uh, charged with tax fraud, so yeah. he's got not a lot um, going for. Him. He needs money, yeah, and he needs like. And he needs like a, a bigger internet footprint, and he has neither of those things right now. So I, I don't know. I just I we ta- we we brought him up a few weeks ago um, because he was sort of back in the news and and asked a question like, "How much should we bring up?" I didn't want to bring him up again this week, but I just it actually felt like an uplifting story because it seems like such a silly ploy that will fail. And so I don't know if any, if anyone else feels uplifted by that. I just wanted to share it. <laughs> Um, it'll be okay, forgotten in two to... weeks. It'll be it'll be forgotten because exactly. it won't. It it'll won't be succeed. like the blog. Yeah. It'll be like the blog. Yeah. Okay, so let's move on to our second um, piece of uh, gossip here. Culture gossip. The princess of Japan just got married uh, to a civilian, and she's no longer a princess. Uh, princess Mako is or Mako is thirty. She's the niece of the current emperor. Uh, she just got married to a commoner, which I highly recommend because I also got married to a commoner. Really good stuff. Um, Gave up your throne. <laughs> and, <laughs> and it was like, it's been going on for four years. It was like, there was such drama over it. People didn't, you know, didn't, uh, there was all this public opinion against the, the pairing. Um, the emperor didn't uh, approve of the marriage. It was this whole thing. Um, did you, I mean, did you guys even know that there was Japanese royalty? I mean, that may even be news for people because it doesn't have the same cultural currency as the British royalty. I did not know. Uh, no, I, I, you didn't. <laughs> I knew. I, I knew. Okay, it, I mean, it, yeah. well, okay, here's something that I think is funny, though. This is why I bring this up. So Japanese have a succession problem. Um, their imperial household law, which let's say it together, governs the succession of Japan's emperors, <laughs> um, has a clause in it where women are not allowed to reign on the throne. Sure. So then the next person who's supposed to reign, it, and also if like if you marry out a comet or whatever, then you you're you're no longer uh, eligible and you're no, you're no longer in the Royal family. And then her children aren't eligible either. Right. So they have, because they have this Imperial household law. Um, 
the next next in line is Emperor Norohito's 85 year old uncle is the next in line <laughs> because they don't let women. They don't let women. Is he single? So. <laughs> I just thought, I mean, it was trending on Twitter and I just thought it was like funny, but also the the fiance, he had really long hair. That was a big scandal. He wore it in a ponytail when he flew back to Japan to get married. It was a huge scandal. I don't know. There was so much more. Japan's so interesting to me because they're both so conservative and weird about these things. I mean, uh, whatever. I, I am He's also smart. weird. I don't, smart. I don't mean to. She went to school. He's a lawyer. He, you know, they're moving to New York City. Oh, she knows so what she's can... doing. Believe me. I mean, let's put it this way, Nagin. Mm. You hadn't heard of the Japanese royal family until she did this. Think about Ooh. it. Think about it. People are comparing yeah. this to 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 Edward marrying Wallace Simpson. I mean, I don't think it's anything like that. They're not going off <laughs> to be codependent alcoholics together. This is a oh, lot right. more like Harry and and Meghan Markle in that they realize the limitations of an ancient dead figurative monarchy. They're going to go be media sensations. The fact that so many people now know there was a princess of Japan and the process towards her leaving was so long and arduous. But then she just goes to a registry office. Bing, she's married so quick. Homegirl's going to get paid. She is building a legacy that will be far more wide reaching than the Japanese figurehead monarchy. She's going to be on The Real Housewives of New York. Amen. Yeah. <laughs> That's what's happen. Oh, my God. The, the most uh, touching part of the story is that instead of having, having a wedding, they had uh, basically uh, a press junket. Uh, uh, so yeah, did I tell you? Yeah, John's right. I also, I think that they'll yeah. end up selling their story to HBO for the spinoff of Succession, but it'll be Succession, Japanese monarchy. I bet they've got camera crews yes. filming everything they do right now and have been for the last six months. <laughs> but I really am so shocked that they still have that imperial house rule about women. And the Japanese government is just like not doing anything about it. It's been a problem apparently for years. Everyone's like, hey, we need to get rid of that one rule that's uh, misogynistic and dumb because it also puts us in a succession issue uh, of an antiquated institution that does not matter. I mean, you know, they don't do anything. They're still just royals. And then that one uncle who was afraid of getting passed up on was like, no. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> it's, I still could have a chance gonna be keeping um, up right. with the kamuros believe me that'll what they'll call it <laughs> all right let us move on to another um piece of culture from this week now again i just feel like we have to do a follow-up because we talked about the Chappelle thing uh a few weeks ago and here it is still happening Chappelle had a response and um he was doing some stand-up and he posted a video of his stand-up that basically responded uh, to the backlash to his special. Um, he said, um, do not blame the LBGTQ, that's how he said it, community for any of this shit. This has nothing to do with them. It's about corporate uh, interests and what I can say and what I can't say. Um, and then he also said to the transgender community that he's willing to meet with them, uh, but that he has some demands, uh, quote, first of all, you cannot come if you haven't watched my special from beginning to end, and you must come to a place of my choosing at any at a time of my choosing. And thirdly, you, you must admit that Hannah Gatsby is not funny, um, which, you know. Ended. He ended it with a joke. All right. Fugle uh, saying you're a comedian. Part, second part was think? a joke as well. I mean, by saying they must meet at a time and place of my choosing, right? Yeah, was yeah, yeah. you know mocking the look. We. I'll be the first to admit that the one drug that unites everyone in America, left, right, every demographic, is umbrage. And um, we are all addicted to being outraged about things. But this is one of the few scenarios I've seen, culture war wise, where I think both sides are going to win. This is not going to hurt Dave Chappelle at all. And no. this will long-term help transgender identity. I think that Chappelle will lose some fans he'll never get back. But at the same time, um, it'll have short-term benefit gains for him. I think the people who are opposing him, I didn't know that Netflix had so many transgender employees uh, that could walk either. out and make the headlines. So I think it's actually going to be you know, short-term good for Dave Chappelle, long-term better for transgender folk and people of conscience who would like to see marginalized groups treated with dignity. Grace, what do you think? 
I think that the issue that I have with this general controversy is that we've kind of conflated mm-hmm. cancel culture with like genuine critique. Indeed. And I think that there is a space to still respect that comedy can and should push boundaries and also be able to say some things aren't funny and like that that joke is punching down and that that's not interesting to me, the consumer. Like to me, there's the best part of cancel culture is when it's like the free market has decided your ideas are no longer viable. I'm so sorry. And I think that there is something about this where it's like, Dave Chappelle, this is what you want to do. Then like, yeah, keep doing it. No one's going to stop you, but like you can't also expect there to be anything other than this response when you're saying, inhumane things so his response to me i was just it gave me a big old eye roll it's like you know it's like okay then like this isn't a conversation you never intended it to be one and so like i don't need to feel bad in my genuine personal critique of what you seem to think is funny and it also just feels like you know, someone who isn't necessarily doesn't necessarily have their finger on the pulse of what um, Americans happen to have known about him at all. Like, you know what I mean, it was he just has this like notion that everybody before was talking about his position on the trans community all the time or something. And it's like uh, it's just it's weird. It's like you know, he's talking to his critics, but we didn't even know that the, the critics were, we didn't even know that there was a conversation between him and the critics, or that the critics, like, do you it's know what I'm there. saying? It's been Am there. Am I making any sense? Yeah, but it, it's been there. And- yeah, like, it, it's definitely been there, but I just feel like he thinks he's at the center of a universe yeah. he is not the center of. I guess um, that's what I'm sort of driving at. It's, and it's, it's one of those moments where it's like, comedians are re- best when they kind of do have a sense of what's happening culturally, right? What is the cultural conversation? And that's when comedians really shine because they can see it. Um, and then this is one of those moments where I don't think he understands, like, I just don't think he knows um, specifically. But that's the point, right? He doesn't know. Uh, we can talk all day about how sad it is to watch Chappelle punching down at a marginalized group. And the reality is he doesn't know because in this equation, he's he's the conservative. It's really strange to see him not leading culturally on something, but rather take the old man attitude towards it. And right now he's surrounded by people who are high-fiving him, telling him this is great. And you're right, it has nothing to do with cancel culture. Cancel culture is something that, you know, people who have been dicks decry when they're held accountable for their dickery. But in this case, Unless there's some kind of uh, evolution on his part, you know, the people who are kids now and watching this show, when they grow up and they are over transphobia, the way our generation is over homophobia, they're going to see Chappelle as an out-of-touch old man. I I had this conversation with Jason Kander, who was on the show last week, and oh, he yeah. was talking about how when he watched it, I, I have, candidly, I have not seen the special, but there's a time in which Chappelle makes like a really blatant anti-Semitic joke, something about Jewish space something. Space, yeah, Jew, yeah. something, yeah. And it was a weird joke for the record. Yeah, and Jason yeah. said, like, as a Jewish man, he was like, you know, I laughed, but it was obviously, like, pretty pointed, and I was glad that that was, like, the only joke. And he's like, had the whole thing, or the majority of it, or the main thrust of it been anti-Semitic, that. he's like, I probably wouldn't feel great about this. And I also think that as a yeah. country, the conversation would be very different, because to your point, John... There are some topics that we understand where it's like, that's probably just not funny. And or like to make that funny would be a whole lot more work than it's worth. And I I think that this is something that is going to it already is sitting poorly and will age even more poorly. I also just really can't wait for the day on the left and the right that everyone can stop talking about cancel culture. Oh, God. I mean, I also like can't wait for the day when I'm not worried that I'm going to say something that will because it's like I'm I'm desperate for us to all stop talking about cancel culture. At the same time, I constantly worry that I'm going to accidentally say something that it for which I will be canceled, a thing that I wish we would stop talking about. Right. So I'm both in it. I don't believe it really and I'm also scared of it and I'm also you know what I mean I feel like I'm in all all areas of it I have Fugel saying do you feel that way as a comic well yeah I mean on the one hand I can easily
easily say, hey, it's not cancel culture, it's consequence culture. Uh, on the other hand, mm -hmm. we as comedians are so pressured to be commercially viable, yet always push the envelope. You know, yep. artists are always in that place, right? So, I mean, the chances are actually increased that one of us might say something for which uh, we didn't really plan it out or try it out on a friend just yet. And Twitter is, lets you, of course, delete something, but, um, you know, digital's forever. So, yeah. you know, but again, I, I, I usually when I hear someone say cancel culture, it's in reference to someone revealing their true selves and facing consequences, not actual cancel culture. Cancel culture, I think, goes back to me too in 2017 when mediocre men were being told you can be replaced and nobody was actually canceled they just didn't get to be famous anymore. And, you know, I, I kind of like as someone who had to learn how to be funny to talk to girls because I didn't know being a monster was an option. Uh, I have no problem. <laughs> I have no problem with men being told they can be replaced. So, you know, if that's canceling, fine. I think it's consequence culture. And I think talent will out. You know, uh, Kevin Spacey or Charlie Rose have every right to try to make their way back in the profession. Yeah. Maybe they will. I mean, the market will decide. Um, all right, folks, uh, I promise we won't talk about Dave Chappelle anymore, <laughs> but it felt like it was, it's still so dominating the news. It felt weird to just completely ignore it. All right. Um, all right, folks, that is the end of the show. My God, I'm so happy that you were both, um, on the show with me today. That was so much fun. Grace Lynch, I want people to be able to follow you and all the stuff that you do. Where do they do that? You can find me on Twitter at Grace Lynch 8 and don't forget to subscribe to Ashy Rises, Grace's wonderful podcast on the Wonder Network. It is so fabulous. John Fugel saying, where do people find you? Every night on Sirius XM Progress, which you can listen to as a podcast the next day through the uh, Pandora merger or my podcast, The Sanity Cast um, at John Fugel saying on Twitter. Uh, my Facebook page is still held hostage and coming soon to a town near you because it's nice to be back on the road again. And folks, if you haven't seen John Fugelstein perform live, do this for yourself because it is one of the most fun times you could possibly have. I still want to tour with um, you, Nagin. I miss doing shows. Oh, with you. that's my dream. It's my dream. Let's we have to make it happen. All right. Um, so I just want to let folks know that I am actually guest hosting. Wait, wait, don't tell me this week. I'm going to be uh, filling in for Peter Sagal. Uh, so come watch me, uh, listen to me on the show drops on Saturdays um, on your nearest radio station on your nearest podcast app. Uh, I would love um, for you to listen to the show. Wait, wait, don't tell me. And um, also, I'm uh, in the Adult Swim Festival on November 12th and 13th, so definitely uh, check that out. The festival um, is going to be online. It's, you'll have easy access to it. Uh, so check that out, the Adult Swim Festival. Uh, and what I would really love to do is thank all of the wonderful people that make Fake the Nation possible. That's our producer, Danielle Jones-Wesley. She's been uh, w with the show now for a handful of weeks and oh my god she's knocking it out of the park we're so lucky to have her our sound engineer stephanie aguilar who's been with us since our move to headgum and who's always fabulous and all the wonderful people at headgum our theme music is written by gobby alter um, as always rate and review us on apple Podcasts. i'll be sharing more of those reviews in the coming weeks so definitely do that it helps people find their show you can email us at fake the nation at headgum.com uh, join the patreon for bonus content and you can do that at patreon.com slash farsad and we'll be back in your earballs next week. That was a headgum podcast.